Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Um, uh, as, as per usual, uh, the songs chosen by the worship team, oftentimes there's, there's something that just seems to fit perfectly with the message that uh, we're going to be hearing today. Uh, one of the things that, that stood out to me uh, is in the song Champion that we sang. Uh, it said, perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve and take the, th- the broken things and raise them to glory. We could never earn it. And uh, today, and really for the last, the last few weeks, we've been talking about love. And we're talking about a love that, that we've received that we couldn't earn and a love that is supposed to transform us so fully that we're an expression of that out into the world around us. And so today we're gonna be continuing on that theme. Um, we're gonna be uh, in Romans 13. So if you're, gonna, if you're planning on following along in your Bibles, you can, you can look there. Otherwise, we'll have the verses up on the screen as usual, um, over the last chapter and a half of this letter, we've been talking about, uh, it's been kind of a theme of love displayed. That how through acts of hospitality and, and seeing others, preferring others above ourselves, honoring others above ourselves, uh, that, that, that love is shown. In chapter 12, we saw it first applied to the saints, then to strangers, and then to enemies, and then last week, we even saw how we apply that to honoring our government authorities, respecting them, submitting to government authorities. So that message, if you find that maybe you need to hear it again, is gonna be online uh, as we're entering into an election season. Um, the, the thought of honoring and respecting authorities may become more challenging. Oftentimes during these, uh, these seasons, we're bombarded by seemingly well-intending people maybe uh, that are dishonoring the other candidates, dishonoring governing authorities in an attempt to get you or dissuade you from voting for one person or another. So um, with a desire to be transformed and not conform to the world, we, we want to resist those temptations. We want to resist those urges. For some of us, some of us it's harder than others. I, I put myself in the category of one who, who has to actively try and resist those temptations because you can kind of get sucked into, yeah, that is a bad guy. Like, I don't like what he's doing. And I, you, know, you, can, you can get in these com- complaining and you can make it uh, more personal rather than, than just I don't agree with, but I, I love him as a, as a person that God loves, as a person that God wants to draw near to him and change and to honor them for the fact that God has placed them for the time that they have to be in the place that they're in. And so, um, so it's, a, it's a challenge. And so uh, if you need a message, maybe it will be an encouragement to you through the next nine months or however long it is till the next election. Uh, maybe it's only seven, I'm not sure. Um, if we really want to uh, see our lives transformed, though. If we really want to stop doing those things, one of the things that we can do to help us would be to begin to pray for those government leaders. Not just because if they change, it'll be easier to love them, but because when we pray for people, God changes our hearts and changes the way that we view them and uh, gives us a desire to love them and to see them transform themselves. So if we really want to see life transformation, we need to do more than just stop doing something. We need to start going in the other direction. We've got to start doing something that actively draws us away from that sin. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at a little bit later this morning. 
Verses eight and nine in the section that we're gonna read today um, are kind of a wrap up, kind of a summary of the last 20 verses that looking all the way back to Romans chapter 12, verse nine, it said, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Um, and uh, to give some context a little bit to the verse that we're gonna read, we're gonna start by reading verse seven where it says, pray for all of those, uh, sorry, Pray to all what it, sorry, not pray. Got my mind on prayer here. All right, we're gonna pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And then continuing into today's text, it starts in verse eight. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So without looking at verse seven first and kind of getting some context, we might start thinking right away at the very beginning where it says, Oh, no one anything. We might start thinking about uh, car loans or home loans, uh, but, but that's not what he's saying in this context. He's not saying that you shouldn't take out a loan. He's not saying that you shouldn't use a credit card. There are verses in the Bible that talk about you know, godly principles about borrowing and lending, um, but this isn't, doesn't really appear to be talking about financial guidelines for our life, but seems to be contrasting some of those debts that we pay to the debt of love. He's saying that give all these things, all that is due, you know, give taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. All of those things can be paid in full. You can pay them and be done, don't have to think about them again. All right, except for taxes, they keep on coming back every year. But, <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> Um, but, but those other things can be paid off. Um, but their debt of love is never meant to be paid off. Our debt of love is never, it's not an account that's ever meant to be closed out. One of the common passages that we think of when we think of love uh, comes, we think of 1 Corinthians 13. It's a, it's a passage we often hear read at weddings. Um, it's not a passage that's actually specifically about the love between uh, a husband and a wife. Um, but is actually describing just the kind of love that a Christian should have in all of our relationships. In fact, anything that we do without love has no real value, is what Paul says. In this passage, he describes that he could do the most amazing things. Uh, he could give everything he owns and even give his life, and that, uh, in his words, he says, then, but if he does it without love, he says, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have not love, I am nothing. And again, he says, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. One of the things that Paul says about love is in this passage is that love keeps no record of wrong. Okay? So everything's supposed to be filled with love and everything that we do should keep no record of wrong, but um, that, that love doesn't keep a balance sheet. 
It doesn't keep track of what's owed to us. And then Romans 13, 8, that says, owe no one anything except to love each other. Um, sorry, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's, it's kind of the flip side of this um, not keeping track of wrongs. He's saying that uh, there's no point in keeping track of how much love we've given either. So it's not just not keeping track of wrong, but we're not supposed to keep track of how much love we've given, at least not for the purpose of trying to figure out if we've given enough, if somehow we've, we've given all that's owed or all that's deserved. We should not be looking for a point that we are so far ahead in showing love that we can stop. Uh, we read in chapter 12 that we should try and outdo each other in showing honor. It, it didn't give any limit on how much we can outdo each other. We can continue to outdo each other. Uh, if Christ had the attitude that he only needed to love us just enough to outdo how much love we've shown, then we would not be able to experience the continuing outpouring of love that we receive through his perpetual acts of, of forgiving us and offering us grace and mercy. He would be sitting up there uh, waiting for us to uh, match what has been earned or, or that we would, uh, you know, we'd have to do something more to earn a little bit more love. We'd, we'd have a salvation that we based off of works, not off of grace. We would never be able to earn enough love to really overcome our debt. But, but Christ offered more love than we deserved. His love, he, he, he outdid himself in, in, in loving us. And we're called to follow that same example. Jesus is not like a prepaid gas pump where you know, it stops once the credit is met. It is a never-ending spring offered freely to anybody who would receive him. And following Jesus' example, we never stop loving. We never stop forgiving. We never stop hoping that God's will will be done in the other person's life, even in the lives of our enemies, even in the lives of our authorities. In verse 10, it says that if you love one another, you will fulfill the law. Verse 9 gives some examples of that. It says that uh, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you shall not steal, you should not covet. Some of all these you shall nots, he says, are all summed up in one you shall. They're all accomplished in one you shall. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now why does this sum up all of the shall nots? Because looking ahead at verse 10, it says, that love does no wrong to a neighbor. It sums it up because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If we genuinely love, we automatically do not do things that are unloving, like adultery or murder, stealing, coveting. Some of those may seem like obvious things that we wouldn't do, um, we all know that murdering is not a very loving act, right? But remember, though, that Jesus didn't say that he just judged the acts. He judges the heart. And he taught that murder is akin to hatred or having unjust anger against somebody, holding on to unforgiveness. It is unloving for us to covet what other people to have. have. It is... Um, when we are called love, we're called to stop sinning. Because we love, we stop sinning. This is 
if we love, we won't sin. We won't break those commandments. When we love, we care enough for others that we put them first. To love your neighbor as yourself is essentially the golden rule, right? To do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. If you love someone the same way you love yourself, you won't talk badly about them behind their back. If you love someone the way you love yourself, uh, you can be happy when good things happen to them and not be jealous that they're not also happening for you. Loving others causes us not to lie to other people. It means that when we sell a car and there's something wrong with it, we tell the person who wants to buy it that there's something wrong with it, not because we're a Christian and that's what we're supposed to do, but because we love that person. We don't want to harm them. We, we want to treat them the same way we would want to be treated. It means that uh, you let the cashier know that the total was wrong or in the rare case that you're paying with cash that you got the wrong change back. If we love others, we'll treat them the way that we want to be treated because we love them, we care for them. It's how should we love? We should love others the same way we love ourselves. I don't know if anybody else hearing some of these things, like, like sometimes we do things because we feel like that's what we're supposed to do and it's not necessarily out of love. I, I mean, is anybody, am I alone here where I feel like maybe, maybe I could grow a little bit in my love? Maybe, maybe sometimes I'm not actually loving everybody. I'm, I'm trying to do what's right, but I'm not necessarily doing it out of love. You're not alone. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not alone. Uh, what is the primary way that we love ourselves? Is it by saying nice things to ourselves in the mirror in the morning or giving ourselves a, a big hug? It's probably not some of those, uh, those types of displays of affection. Our love for ourselves is mostly displayed just in the fact that we seek to meet our needs. We seek to take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves, we clothe ourselves. Sometimes maybe it comes in the form of emotional support. Uh, I know there's sometimes where if I'm in a difficult situation or I'm exhausted, like physically, there's times where I'm you know, digging a bunch of post holes and I get to the last one and I'm like, come on, dog, you know, like trying to get those last few inches. You know, you kind of encourage yourself. Sometimes you can be in a stressful season and you can be like, just two more weeks and it's going to get better. Come on, you can do it. Just two more, you know, and you kind of, we kind of encourage ourselves. Um, so sometimes it can be, you know, that's how we meet our needs. That's how we love ourselves. Uh, we're called to love others the same way that we love ourselves. If we see someone in need, to stop for a moment and imagine we were in the, that spot. What would we, what, what would we want? What, how would we want to be loved? How would we want to be cared for? And to try and see if there's some way that we can meet that need, some way that we can care for that person to make their hard moment a little bit easier. Uh, today in this country, um, in this area especially, it, it may be a little bit less likely that you're going to run into somebody with need of food and clothing. Uh, it's probably a little less prevalent than it was in the time that this letter was written. Today, we may find more people that are struggling with stress or discontentment or disappointment or lack of hope. We read in the last chapter, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Many people today need to know that somebody cares. They just need somebody to walk alongside them. Um, and then when we walk alongside them, when we take the time to show that we care and help meet their needs, they may be, 
And they may be wondering, why is it that this person loves me? Why do they care for me? Why are they taking this moment, giving this energy? And we can tell them about the one that supplies all of our needs. We can tell them about the one that's the reason that we have hope, even when we face trials. We are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. As we uh, continue on in verse 13, uh, looking all the way through the end of this chapter, it says, besides this, you know the time, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. One of the definitions for the Greek word Oh, I'm jumping ahead here. Last, uh, last chapter, I began with, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then in verse nine, we mentioned this before, but abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. So here in verse 12, uh, towards the end there, we see that Paul gives us some examples of some of the evil that we should abhor as we try and offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It says that we should cast off the works of dark, darkness, that we should make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. One of the definitions of this Greek word that's translated provision is to uh, enable, in, in, enabling something or allowing something to happen. That's giving provision to it. He says, now more than ever, as the day draws near, we need to stop putting, uh, we need to start loving and stop sinning. And one of the best ways to stop is to stop putting ourselves in compromised situations, putting ourselves in places where we're likely to sin. He says, give, sorry, give no provision for the flesh. Are there places that you go where you're likely to sin, where you're likely to surrender to your flesh. Make no provision, avoid opportunity to sin. Are there things that tempt you that are likely to lead you to surrendering to your flesh? Make no provision. If you're tempted to overeat, don't go to a buffet. If you're tempted to get drunk, don't go to places where people are drinking. Are there people who, when you spend time with them, it always leads to gossiping or, or speaking badly about others. Make no provision. Either tell the person, hey, we need to change how we communicate, and if that doesn't work, maybe you need to avoid that person. Maybe you can't hang out with that person because it, get, it makes opportunity for sin. Are there specific situations where you are likely to sin? Does your YouTube or Facebook scrolling lead you to seeing or listening to things that are unholy, that are ungodly, that fill your mind with sinful thoughts? Does online shopping make you feel covetous or jealous, envious of others? Make no provision. There's an old saying that nothing good happens after midnight. Some, some parents maybe adjusted that to 10 p.m. 
Um, I haven't got to that point where I feel like I have to use that yet, but it'll come. Um, some parents may have, uh, sorry, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we put ourselves in a place where, where we uh, are more susceptible. Um, we get tired because we're staying up too late. That can result in us being more prone to sin, whether it's uh, by making poor decisions while we're tired at night or whether it's waking up in the morning and having lack of sleep, having a bad attitude. Now we relate to the whole world around us poorly. Maybe one of the main things that you can do to stop making provision for sin is just go to bed. <laughs> go to bed on time. Don't stay there, but got to get out of bed eventually. Actually, we're going to talk about getting, waking up in a little bit, but uh, make no provision for the flesh. Sometimes that means not doing something that you really want to do. Sometimes that means not going someplace that you really want to go. Maybe that means not hanging out with somebody that you really have a long history with and it's going to be hard, but you don't want to make provision. You don't want to uh, gratify the flesh. We're going to cast off those things so that we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can put on the armor of light. The word... Um, we read in, in Romans 12, uh, 13, verse 12, it says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The word cast off is used several times throughout the New Testament. Interestingly, it's, it's almost always related to the same sort of topic. Um, and we see this not just by Paul, but by, by several different authors. And we're gonna look at a few examples of that. This Greek word, that's translated as cast off is also translated to put away or to lay aside. And uh, we're gonna look here at uh, the author of Hebrews, which we're not really sure who that is. Um, but in Hebrews it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which close, that every sin which clings so closely. James writes, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Peter says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And Paul, again, in Colossians 3, it says, and now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. If we love we will not do these things. We will not do all these shall nots. But in each one of these instances, we're not just instructed not to engage in certain activities. It doesn't just say to stop or to cast off, but it also says to put on or to set a new course or to do what is good. <clears throat> it's good to want to cast off evil. It's good to see evil, abhor it, and not want to do it. But if we're going to really stop doing it, um, we're called to also go in the other direction, also move in the opposite direction by starting to walk in a path of righteousness. Not to stop, not to just stop being conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind into the likeness of Jesus. You're not just supposed to cast off darkness, but to put on the armor of light. So going back through these chapters that I just mentioned, going back to Hebrews it doesn't just say to lay aside every weight and every sin, but it also says, so take a new grip with tired hands and strengthen your weak knees 
Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. We're supposed to mark out a straight path for our feet. There's something active that we do in the other direction. James doesn't just say put away all the filthiness and wickedness, but also says be doers of the word. Peter says that we should long for the pure spiritual milk, that we should proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, that we should keep your conduct, says keep your conduct among the Gentiles so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And then Paul, again in Colossians 3, says that as Christians, we have to put on our new self. Put on the new self, not our new self. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul continues in Colossians 3, if we jump ahead just a little bit, and he describes what this new self looks like. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14 says, put on then as God's chosen ones. So we've cast off those evil things. We're going to stop. We're going to abhor evil. But put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. That means forgiving even when they haven't earned it, because we didn't earn it. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, we're not, uh, we're not doing any of this legalistically. We're not casting off any of these things or stopping doing these things legalistically. It's all because of love, all because we're following Jesus' example uh, of loving. It's because we've experienced the love of God. We've, ex- we've, we've seen what Jesus did, sacrificing himself on the cross. We've experienced the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, comforting us, guiding us, uh, and, and poured out in an overwhelming and undeserved way. And so because we have been shown all of these mercies of God, let us offer our lives as a, as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. So we do it out of love for God, and then because of our love for God, we begin to love others, and then we stop sinning because we love others as we love ourselves. Skipping ahead to verse 17, uh, in Colossians chapter 3, it said, And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. <clears throat> whatever we do, we do it as a way of giving thanks to God the Father through him. Looking uh, again at Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, says, By this time, you know, oh, sorry, besides this, you know the time. Um, some translations actually begin this part, a lot of them start with, and do this knowing the time. So, and do this knowing the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night is gone, the day is at hand. Paul is trying to convey some urgency to help us, to help us properly prioritize 
this casting off and putting on. Now, I, I operate much differently than my wife does. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> oftentimes, we've <laughs> been corrected, stand corrected. Um, when we have plans to go somewhere or we're going to have friends over or something and we need to get ready or at some point we're going to have to get ready. Now, she's one who maybe wants to get ready a little sooner. Like she's usually dressed and ready, you know, an hour ahead of time or more, you know, for, for leaving or, or people coming over. Um, she likes to just be ready and then just be able to sit on the couch and wait until, you know, the time comes. Where I am more the one where I try and estimate exactly how much time I think that I'm going to need to get ready. And then I hurry up and get ready. And oftentimes people are coming in the door and I'm still not quite ready yet, you know. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not good, but it's, it's, it's how I operate. Um, maybe someday, you know. Paul is saying that we need to wake up. We need to get ready now. The day of the Lord is drawing near. He says that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now that seems obvious, right? I mean, as time goes on, there's more time behind us, less time in front of us. Uh, there's, salvation is nearer than we first believe. But this is a reminder to us that maybe, maybe we're anticipating the Lord's coming more when we first believe than we are now. As time has passed, maybe we lost some of that urgency. We lost some of that diligence, some of that fervor, that spude, right? Like having a company come over, um, all day long we might have been thinking that, ah, I've got all day to get ready. I've got all day to get ready, but as time went on, maybe we didn't notice the clock spinning and all of a sudden the time is at hand and uh, we find that we've fallen asleep on the couch. And, and here they are pulling in the driveway and we're not ready. We don't know when the Lord's return is going to be. We don't know when the day of salvation is going to be. But if we thought we needed to be preparing when we first believed, one thing we know is true is there's less time now than there was before. Since we are never going to be finished paying our debt of love to others, let us be found by the master when he returns, offering love, providing for the needs of others, being his hands and feet. In Mark 13, 32 through 37, it says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the early morning or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Church, the hour has come for us to wake from our sleep, to go back to how the, the diligence and the fervor that we had when we first believed. Paul did not know what time the Lord was going to come. He didn't know how much time he had left. Sometimes he talked as if 
he was going to experience Christ coming back in the sky. Other times, he, he felt like he was going to pass away, that he was going to be killed before that time came. But he knew that either way, whether it was death or Christ's return, that was going to be the day of his salvation. And he was determined to live like that day was coming soon. To live like that day was coming soon. He purposed to give no provision to the flesh and to love God and to love others with fervor. The day is coming near and we will not look back and wish that we could have worked a little bit more overtime or bought a newer car or watched the last season of Friends one more time. There's a, uh, a country song that came out about 20 years ago by an artist named Tim McGraw. Uh, it's called Live Like You Were Dying. And uh, it talks about a, a man in his 40s. He finds out that his dad has cancer and is, and, and is going to be passing away soon. And, and his dad's response was to change the way he lived, to start living in a way that was different than the way he had been living um, recognizing that he probably should have been living that way all along. And the son seeing this then changes the way he lives and he starts to live with that same sort of urgency, that same sort of mentality. <clears throat> Part of the lyrics says, uh, well, I finally read the good book and I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And he says, I would love deeper I, and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. Now, what we're talking about here is a life that, that, that has changed not because we see that we're dying soon, um, but because God is coming soon, because we don't know the day or the hour that we are going to meet him. And he's made us stewards and he's given us uh, tasks. He's given us uh, a, a purpose to be here and to share his love with others. And we want to be found accomplishing those things. We want to be found being a diligent servant on the day that he comes, loving others the way that we love ourselves. The song ends saying, to live like tomorrow was a gift and you've got eternity to think about what you did with it. What did you do with it? What can I do with it? What would I do with it? We have to balance that thought. I mean, we can go... You can go crazy thinking that tomorrow's the last day and make no provision for the future. Um, but, but we're called to be good stewards of what God has made us responsible for, too. We, we still have to be responsible for our families, and, and uh, we have to take care. We have to, you know, speaking of taxes, you, you, you can't just plan on that God's going to come back before the end of the year and not have money to pay your taxes. You have to, you have to do responsible things. There's things that we have to prepare for, but it seems like we don't err so much on preparing for the future uh, that, that a future that may never come here on earth as we do err on preparing for a future that we know is sure. We know that we are going to face the king of glory. We know that, we're, that, that the day of our salvation is going to come and that we're not going to have any more time to reach those who are lost. We're not going to have any more time to help uh, build the kingdom of God here on earth. That time frame is going to come to an end. And all of the stuff that we build up for the temporary is, is not going to matter anymore. But we know that that other stuff is eternal, that that is going to last. And if, if we spend all of our time just thinking about the temporary, uh, we're never going to be ready for the, the sure future that will last forever. So he encourages us 
in Romans 13, verse 12. Read it one more time. He says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ. Imitate him. Be imitators of him so that the world would see our good works and would be ready themselves on the day that he comes. We want the world to see our good works and, and find Jesus. We want them to be ready. We want to love them to the degree that we want them to turn from their wicked ways and that they would also be glorifying God on the day of his return. Lord Jesus, uh, first off, Lord, I just, I just think about your great love and your great mercy that you displayed to us, Lord, because it's that example, it's that representation, it's, it's that love that, that is beyond what we are capable of that has been shown to us that, that stirs in our hearts and, and teaches us how to love others. When we consider the fact that we were worthy of wrath and yet you forgave us, it allows us to see others as having value as well because you valued us. Lord, turn our hearts that, that we would see others with love, that we would see them the way that you saw us when we were lost in our sin and desired to change us and cleanse us and renew us. Help us to uh, look past um, those things that, that the, the evil, the sin that, uh, that we abhor and see the person that you love. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, fix our eyes on you, fix our eyes on the truth that there is a day of salvation coming. Not the day that we first received you, but the day that salvation will be completed, that we'll be freed from these earthly bodies and from this sinful world, and we'll be reunited with you. But on that day, this time frame will end. There'll be no more opportunity to reach out for the, to the lost. There'll be no more opportunity to show this love, to do the work that you've called us to accomplish for your glory. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to remember that you have called us for a purpose. We don't know when the day or the hour is, but the time is soon. The time is near. The time is shorter ahead of us than what it once was, Lord. Let us love you and serve you as we did when we first believed. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word says that uh, I am crucified with Christ. There's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it comes down to. The life that we now live, are we going to live it for the flesh, for the purpose of gratifying the flesh, or are we living it for our Savior who redeemed our lives from, from worthlessness to wholeness and holiness? Amen. I've, I've referenced a verse a couple times, uh, but I want to read, read it in full. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12 says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and as exiles. What does that mean? It means this world isn't our home. We're just passing through. I urge you as sojourners as, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Your soul, which is eternal. Your flesh is temporary. Let's, let's favor the soul first. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our hope is that they will see our good works and that their hearts might be changed, that there may be a stirring that happens in them that, that as we read in past weeks, that, that uh, when we love our enemies, it's like heaping coals upon their head, that they begin to regret their past behaviors, their past outlooks on, on, on you and on your faith and that they may come to receive faith in Jesus Christ as well. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, loving others by meeting their needs in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. Amen.